What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 129 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is such a joy to be on this leadership journey with you. I know you, like me, is seeking to be the leader that God created us to be. We know there's more, so we got to go out and find the great ones, see what they've done, and learn lessons we can apply and put in our leadership toolbox. Well, today, I hope your toolbox is open And I hope it's ready because the gentleman I get to interview today is going to bring some stuff your way that you need and I need to be the leaders that we were created to be. His name is Tim Elmore. I've had the luxury and the benefit of knowing Tim for many years, most of it from a front row seat watching him. But the few times we've gotten to interact through the years, you find out he's more than an author. He's more than a speaker. He's more than just a a guy out there in the leadership space. He is a gentleman who's making a difference literally all across the country. His book Habitudes and his curriculum Habitudes that's gone into almost every major university and high school across the country teaching character lessons that student athletes can apply to their lives, marching off the map, his book, and his latest book that we're going to talk about today, The Eight Paradoxes of great leadership. It is so good. In fact, it is a current read for some of the leadership guys on our staff, and we're going through it, then our entire staff will go through it here in the next month. It makes you think of leadership in a way you've never thought of it before. So pull out a pen, take out something to note with and write with. If you got your Remarkable or your iPad or you're writing in a journal or notebook or thumbing notes into your phone because this is going to fill you up. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to what my conversation with truly one of my favorite people out there, Mr. Tim Elmore. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me again. It's been Gosh, a couple years now on Lynch with the Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, I love hanging out with you. If nothing else, we're going to have a good time. Always, always. And the first time you did it, we were just hoping somebody would listen in. So we actually, I don't know if anybody's listening, but we just keep putting stuff out for people to listen to if they want to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I love how God used you. It's so funny. I run into guys all the time. They're like, man, I got to hear Tim Elmore. I read something from Tim Elmore and they all come back with the same thing. Tim just, I don't know what he does. He just makes me better. And so I want to say thank you to you from all the people. I was with a guy, Sterling Brown last night. I was with Sterling and he's just like, man, every time I'm with Tim, he just makes me better. So thanks for all you do for leaders, Tim. Well, Mike, thank you for saying that, but I feel you're the same way. You're a contagious man and uh, everybody I meet that knows Mike Litz loves Mike Litz. So thanks for letting me crash your party here. I'm glad we keep everybody else in silence. So that's good. I got plenty plenty (laughs) to know. 
So, you know, you spend your life and we talked about this a few minutes ago. You're sort of, you've sort of been the next guy, right? You're the guy looking back at the generations. Mm -hmm. As you look back, what's changing most during your time in leadership in the leadership landscape that we're living in? Wow. Well, I, I think a cursory quick answer to that is the the pace of change, mm. uh, which everybody would say, duh. But um, when I look back on last year, 2020, I guess that's maybe more than last year. It's a couple of years ago now. But um, 2020, in my mind, was the great accelerator. Mm. Whatever was happening already, it just accelerated it. So think with me, Mike. Um, didn't we all say, oh, we need to do technology better? Well, suddenly we had to do technology better. That's right. That's Schools, right. churches, you name it. Uh, we need to do diversity, equity, and inclusion better. Suddenly we had to do it better. The protest forced us to. So I think whatever was going on, it just sped it up. And I, I don't know that we're going to slow down much. So leaders are going to need to hang on. We both need to have foresight for sure and model the way. But I think for many leaders, it's going to be hang on for dear life. The pace of change won't just be pushed by us. We'll be we'll be hanging on as it as it happens to us. And there's been I know you hit this beginning of your new book that we're going to talk about today. There's been a big fallout. I mean, there's yeah, a lot no of doubt. leaders that took out the white flag and said, yeah, I'm not up for this next thing. Yeah. Fortune magazine came out with a feature article called the great CEO exodus of 2020. And I put this in the book, but I was flabbergasted when I looked at the data uh, in the first quarter of 2020, the CEO of Disney stepped down, the CEO of Hulu stepped down, CEO of MGM, Harley Davidson, IBM. I mean, it was just on and on and on and on and on. And so you, you at first you go, oh, that's a coincidence, but there's so many you go, that's not a coincidence. No. So I'm sure there were many reasons. For some of them, it was just time to resign or retire. But I think for many, they looked ahead and said, I can't do this anymore. It's exhausting. You might have had a moment, Mike, where you oh, thought, gosh. do I want to do something else right now? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so just to add to that, you know this, I'm sure, but this last, you know, 2021, there was a Inc. Magazine carried a feature article called The Great Resignation of 2021. So in a three-month period of time, 11 and a half million employees just resigned. Now, I think for many, they resigned to find a pandemic-proof job. They thought, I'm going to work from home. I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need to answer to a boss or whatever. Some will regret it. But I think many people just said, I, I can't do what I've done anymore. And this is a time for me, this is my exhortation to your listeners. This is a time not to step back but to mm. step up. We've got to step up and say, God, make me enough for this moment because people need a, a healthy, life-giving leader in front of them. And that's what we need to be. I love that. And, you know, it is, there, there were seasons in all of it. I remember talking to a church planner and I said, you know what? We're all equal now. Yeah. With the yeah. whole church landscape, we're all church planners because yeah. this yeah. this landscape is so different. When did God birth this new book in your heart? At, at what point mm. in this crazy yeah. season did this book, uh, The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, yeah. when did that get birthed in your heart, Tim? 
You know, it was it was years ago, and so things kind of marinate inside. You know how this goes uh, for yourself. But I would say the origins really happened first in a green room, right before a conference. I was sitting with 16 CEOs, and I thought, man, I'm going to turn this into a focus group here. So I threw out the question, um, if, if, if tell me what you think about this. I said, um, do you think leading today is different or harder than it was leading when you first learned to lead? And I actually thought I'd get a mixed uh, bag, um, but every one of them said, absolutely, it's harder today. Mm. And when I said, wouldn't you think it'd be harder back when we were in our 20s and we first started leading and we didn't know anything about leadership? That's right. But every one of them stuck to their guns. And so that put me on a search. Why is it Why is it happening? And so um, in the book, I actually write about this. I think we've moved from complicated to complex. Mm. And what I mean by that is complicated is hard, okay? Yep. You're a kid in math class in, in high school or whatever, and there's a problem on the board up there, and you doze off and take a five-minute nap, which you probably you and I both did. Yep. Yep. Uh, but we wake up five minutes later. The problem is no harder, no easier. It's still hard, but unchanged. Complicated, or excuse me, complex is a little different. Complex is the problem is evolving. Mm. So mm. complex might be you're, air, you're an air traffic controller and you doze off for five minutes. You wake up, oh my gosh, four crashes. Here comes another one coming in. It's worse and I have no idea. I'm overwhelmed. So you, you ask Erla, what, what's the big change? I think the change is the anxiety levels that leaders have and the certainty or lack of certainty that, that we have when we make decisions. Mike, I heard leaders say this last year, I felt like I make it a year, I made a year's worth of decisions in one month. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is not a whining session. I'm actually a hopeful person, but I think we need to reckon we are in a different day to long for the past and mama's going to sing us to sleep. We we, yeah. we need to get get past that and say, I've got to be enough now for this moment. And I think we can be. I really do. I, I totally agree. And I know during the pandemic, I did a call every Friday. I had uh, mayors, police chiefs. Um, I had somebody that worked uh, in state legislator, uh, college president, large healthcare system. We would gather every Friday morning during the pandemic for a call. And we did wow. it to encourage them. Yes. And I did it so I could stay informed. Yeah. You know what I learned at the end of those calls every Friday? Nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. And it was uncertain for the people who are delivering certainty were uncertain. Yes. And yes. though we've come out of that, that, that mode of uncertainty's change. And I thought the paradoxes you hit in this book were so timely in leadership. So before we dive into these, explain to everybody what you mean by a paradox. So as we yeah, hit these yeah. different topics, un unpack what that means to you. Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. These paradoxes are in response to the dilemma we just painted in the minds of listeners. So I believe, well, first of all, everybody knows a paradox in itself is a seemingly contradictory uh, set of realities that you think those could not go together, but they do. Yep. It's like an irony. It's like a contradiction. It's yeah, it's an oxymoron. So I'll give you a good example, Mike, you, you and I both live in the greater Metro Atlanta area. Do you remember 2020? We heard on the radio that there were way fewer cars on the road because we were all quarantined, but the accident numbers went up. 
There were more accidents on the road with fewer cars. That's a paradox. Yep. But you know the explanation, because there were fewer cars on the road, people drove more recklessly. They thought, I don't need to pay attention. And they were paying attention. So I, I think there's a whole bunch of these. And I think in leadership, the response we must have today to these crazy times is to practice these seemingly contradictory realities. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. Be, but I think it makes us exactly what our people need. And they go, I don't even know why I want to stay with you, but I want to stay with you. That's good. That's really good. And what I love about this, Tim, is you're, you're a you're practicing this. You lead a company. You lead leaders. You work with them, but you also consult, coach, develop, train. Your your teams are going across the country with habitudes and all that you do. So you're a practitioner and you are coaching and working. So what I wanted to do today is look at these from almost three vantage points. Okay. One is I remember, you know, the early days of leadership, man, everything everything is out the front windshield. I mean, I'm I'm not in charge, but I'm sort of in charge, but I'm looking at the landscape. And then there's the season where you grab the wheel and it's like you're mid-career growing big. You've got big dreams. And then there's the season we all get to in leadership where I've got more in the rear view mirror than I Mm -hmm. do. And we'll celebrate. So I've been in ministry 30 years, 25 years at North star um, mm-hmm. then the, the rear view, the rear view mirror is getting to be a lot bigger than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. So I think we hit these paradoxes and we look at each of them very differently based on our season of leadership. Yeah, I do. And too. where we're at. So what I want to do is we're going to take three of them. There's eight of them in the book and man, you have got to, I'm just telling you, I was telling Tim, we're taking our leadership group through this book because it is so good. You in this, you keep using the phrase uncommon leaders. Mm-hmm. So why are the, as we talk about these paradoxes, why do you call these people who navigate this change so well, uncommon leaders? I call them uncommon, Mike, because I, I really do think the leaders that practice these paradoxes are rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think you be, you're going to be one or the other. Like, for instance, the first paradox is I think uncommon leaders are both confident yep. and humble. Isn't it true you find one or the other most of the time? He's either really confident, in fact, overconfident, or, oh, he's so humble. I like that, but I don't know if we're going to reach our goal. He's so humble. You know, I actually think we need both. And so there's eight of these that seem like they couldn't go together. That's what makes us uncommon. And really, Mike, when I stop and think about it, most all of these eight paradoxes fall under the umbrella of social and emotional intelligence. That's right. So it's behavioral and emotional skill sets that are within the reach of everybody. I, I'm not saying in this book, well, hope your IQ is 140 above, you'll be a great leader. I, I don't think it's IQ. I think it's EQ. Mm. So um, that's what I really talk about in this. And that's, but I think it's uncommon and I want to make it less uncommon among leaders. Yeah. So for a, for a leader, and I want to dive into that one on this confidence and humility, when you're in your 20s. 30, early Mm thirties, how does it look to be confident and humble when you're not in charge? You're not the guy yet. You may be still behind somebody. How does that play out for a leader like that? Wow. I think in your 20, I'm remembering my twenties. It was a distant memory, but I do remember (laughs) my twenties. There I was serving with a, with John Maxwell on his staff in San Diego. 
I remember I realized John needs me to be confident about mm. the department he's put me in charge of. He'd never run a college department. So he couldn't say, here's exactly what I want you to do. And, and I'm kind of glad he didn't. I, I'm glad he wasn't prescriptive in, in his leadership. However, I would have been stupid to not be humble. So every time I sat down with that man, it wasn't hard. I, I was very humble. And so something I have learned along the way that I think a 20-something really ought to practice, when you speak in a meeting, speak as if you believe you're right. Mm. But when you listen, listen as if you believe you're wrong. Oh, man. That makes me so winsome especially as a young professional, perhaps, that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have 30 years of experience, Mike, like you do now. So I just believe those. And I try to offer really practical uh, steps like that in the book. That's my assignment this year, even at my age. I need to speak as if I believe I'm right. I need to listen as if I believe I'm wrong. And when I do that, I'm a better I'm a better leader. Yeah, that's really. So how has that changed for you? You're not the 20 something leader anymore. Yeah. You're, you're the guy now. The, the, yeah. the buck yeah. stops with you and it comes to mm-hmm. your desk. How does this, how does this confidence, humility balance? What's harder now for you as a older leader, a seasoned leader? Well, I, I tell you what's harder. I find myself reaching back into history more and say, well, let me tell you, when we first started growing leaders back in 2003, blah, 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 blah. And I started realizing they're not want, they don't want a history lesson. I do think it's important for us to learn from the past. You would agree with that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You and I both have a lot in the rearview mirror and we want to tell those stories back in the good old days. And I realized I have a lot of young professionals on my team and I'm going, I need to stop the history lessons and at least exhibit to them, I am more excited about today than I ever was in the past. Now, I need to be. I can't, I can't fake it. But um, I think that's my challenge right now is to say, if we were starting this whole thing over, if we were to walk out of the building, walk back in and say, if we were starting over, what would we do? That makes me open to mm. brand new ideas because I'm realizing, oh, gosh, if I would have started this in 2022 instead of 2003, I do a lot. I do a lot of things. I do everything digital, you know? Yep. So I'll stop there. But I, I feel like that's where I am right now. I need to stop with the history lessons all the time and start, you know, doing some prophecy lessons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're right. Well, it's so funny because on your podcast with Andy, and it was so good. And Andy has such great. He's so if people think Andy's only a great speaker, they've never mm-hmm. listened to his podcast because yeah. he is so inquisitive yep. and he's sharp with his questions. But you talked about learning to say as a leader, wow, not how. Yeah. yeah. So unpack that a little bit. That was a great line. Yeah, it is. So when we first hear a new idea, let's say from a younger team member with less experience than us, the, you and I are both going, well, wait a minute. Wait, how, how are you going to do that? Yeah, you yeah. don't even know what you're doing. You what's the data on that? And I think, Andy, I love talking about this concept. Saying wow instead of how means my first response is, I see the vision that you see. What a cool idea. Now, we may need to go back and say, how mm-hmm. are we going to pull this mm-hmm. off? It may not be as easy as we think it is. But I think the wow instead of how doesn't. I, as an older leader, I just do the how thing because I've done too many things that didn't work. And I can tell you how many times it's not going to work. And, and nobody wants to hear that. In fact, I think that causes people to shut up. If I don't have people that are, um, if if I'm only uh, having a team around me that, that um, 
that I don't listen to, they're going to stop sharing ideas. That's right. You know, and so and so I've got to make sure that I'm I'm the person that's listening just as much, if not more, uh, as I am talking. Yeah, uh, that's so good. And you gave a great illustration in the book of Disney and Bob Iger. You know, I think everybody yeah. is familiar with Disney, but what they may yeah. not be familiar with is the story of Disney's transition, yeah. and especially with Bob Iger. So unpack that a little bit. Okay, it is a fun story. So Bob Iger was the CEO of Walt, uh, the Walt Disney Enterprise. Really, everything. And he had never led a company before that sold plush toys, theme park and tic- theme park tickets, <laughs> animated movies. He'd been at ABC, which is a subsidiary of Disney, but he'd never run Disney. So he entered the role, and he's the confidence and humility guy, I yep. think. He entered the role, and he said, I realized they needed a confident leader. You can't run this big machine. But he said, I couldn't pretend that I knew something I didn't. So Bob started meeting with his team that he was in charge of and asking them how it runs. And so he said, I, I was immediately aware of how awkward this was. I hear this guy's about to ask me for directions. And I'm going, what are we doing now? How do, how do we do that? <laughs> so I love the fact that Bob said, I wasn't about to pretend to be someone I wasn't or to know something I didn't. But at the same time, he said, that could not keep me from leading. So I'm in new territory, and here's the greatest way this played out, uh, Mike, that I just love. So Bob Iger followed Michael Eisner, and Michael had been an icon at Disney. But toward the end, Michael Eisner was way too confident, not enough humble. In fact, if I can just be really blunt and all due respect to Michael Eisner, who is still alive, he was a pompous and arrogant and cocky, way overconfident. And the board was put off by that. And they fired him. They said, you're you're gone. Bob Iger steps in. Bob Iger was very aware that one of the last big conversations that Michael Eisner had had when he was CEO was with Steve Jobs, Mm. attempting to buy Pixar. And it never worked out. You can imagine these two big egos at the table, just butting heads. And both would walk away and say, no, not going to happen because nobody wanted to Nobody wanted to be humble. Yep. So Bob is aware that that's happened. Bob lets some time pass, lets the dust settle, but contacts Steve Jobs, gets on the phone with him and says, Steve, I know Michael and you had has reached an impasse and I totally understand. Pixar is amazing. Disney's huge. But then Bob just said after he paused, Steve, I got to tell you, though, I just can't help but think we might be better together. Mm. And Steve's response was, that's not a crazy idea. So when you lean in with humility, Mm. it actually invites humility. If people reciprocate, if I'm cocky, they're going to go, oh, yeah, you want to have a contest? And we men are the worst at this. We got our pride, you know. So Bob Bob just says, I I just, and notice he says something. This may be a crazy idea. Now, he didn't think it was, but you lead with that because you you, you got to let them know. I know I'm borrowing here. I'm presuming that maybe you want to even sell. But here's what's cool. Steve Jobs said that's not a crazy idea. They end up dialoguing. Disney does buy Pixar. And then the very company that purchased the other puts the other one in charge of all the animation. That's what's crazy. Talk about confident and humble. So uh, that'd be like me. Mike, I want to hire you. Now, would you tell me what to do? Yeah, that's right. What? So I don't know. I just think that's a weird leader, but that's the leader we need today. People long for both confident, 
Here, let me, I'm sorry, I'm monopolizing this conversation. No, this is great. I love this. I think people won't follow a leader that's not confident. We need confidence in our leader. We're always going to be wondering, am I in the wrong place? If I don't have a leader that's full of excitement and confidence, they're going to make the goal. But we also know we want to see a little humility in that yeah, leader because yeah. we want to make sure he's not smoking something, you know, he's yeah. not drinking something, you know. So confidence makes my leadership believable. But humility makes my confidence believable. Mm, mm. They see I'm a human and I realize I don't have all the answers and I need others to get to the goal. So that's why I think it's paramount. I think anybody listening would go, yep, I see that. But boy, that's hard to do. And it for is me, hard to do. Yeah, yeah. For me right now, it's hard on any given day. Sometimes it's hard for me to be confident. Sometimes it's hard for me to be humble. At 3 a 3 p.m., they may, may need you to be confident. At 4 p.m., they may need you to be humble. <laughs> You've got to read them before you lead them. So. It is a great tension that every leader walks and the yeah. great ones, the great ones figure out, especially the ones, you know, that like you, I know you talk about Jim Collins in the book, yeah. that level five leader, yeah. that they, they figure out somehow to walk this. And you and I both also share in common our faith, you know, and this yeah. is a spiritual yeah. leadership podcast yeah. who in scripture, as you think back among the great leaders of scripture, who is somebody that balanced confidence and humility? Well, well, um, I, I think of a few right now. Moses, mm. uh, I mean, he knew he had to be confident. They're about to walk through a wilderness, and and the, the Israelites are going, where? Who? What? That's you right. Know? That's right. So, so he had to be confident. But do you remember Moses even described himself as the most humble leader? <laughs> I say that's confidence about my humility. Yep. So, I, and we're both laughing now, but I really think he he had this great humility. But listen. I think the Apostle Paul, yeah, man, you read the epistles, that guy was confident about the theology he had embraced. But then the next phrase, he's going, and I'm the chief of sinners. Mm. Oh, mm. my gosh, I was awful. You know, in Philippians 3, he says, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisee, but I put all that behind me. I, I just think many of the leaders, uh, I mean, we see David very confident as a warrior and then a humble poet. So I think we can read in Scripture these, by the way. You know what I did, Mike, that was really fun for me just personally, but since this is a faith podcast, I went through all eight paradoxes and I watched, did Jesus do these? Absolutely. Wow. wow. Oh my gosh. Go through the gospels and see Jesus confident and then humble. He even said, I'm, I'm meek and lowly and gentle. Wow. The savior of the world. That's right. Confident and humble. So it's kind of, I won't tease all, all those, but I dare anybody listening, if you get this book, read the Gospels next to it, and you'll see Jesus, the leader, not just the healer and Savior, practicing these so brilliantly. That's so fantastic. And it's interesting you bring out Paul, because most people would never, oh, Paul, he was yeah. he was bombastic. He yes. was yeah. strong. Yeah. And so I read a book. I took a group of leaders through a book last year, Paul and His Companions by Richard Blackaby. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. And so he broke out every companion. And, it, and he said, isn't it funny? Paul never started a letter. He didn't recognize all the people that got him there, yes. which is humility. Yes. It was so true. interesting. I never thought about that before. Yeah, that's well, a great point. The second the second uh, one I wanted to talk about was uncommon leaders leverage both their vision. This mm. is so good. Never thought about this. Their vision and their blind spots. Talk to yes. me about that a little bit. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's so oxymoronic, but but um, you know, Mike, I, I put a case study with each one of these paradoxes, so there's a live yep. uh, embodiment of the paradox. 
So my case study on this one was Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx right here in Atlanta, Georgia. So Sarah graduates from Florida State back in 93, something like that. And she sells fax machines door to door and she's wearing pantyhose and high heels and it's the hot Florida sun. And she's going, this is not right. So she cuts off her stockings. You know, you know, the Spanx. That, that oh, yeah, yeah. And, and she goes, oh, this looks good. And it, and yet it's got some firm hold here. Here I am talking about this like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, but here's what's fun. Sarah now realizes, OK, I've got this product I've created and I found a manufacturer to make it. Where am I going to distribute this? So she calls up an executive at Neiman Marcus department stores, gets a 10 minute meeting. It's a short meeting. She walks into this female executive. She made sure it was a female because, you know, ladies are going to understand. Five minutes into the meeting, Mike, she realizes I am not getting anywhere here. Mm. She's probably heard 50 proposals today. This is not going. So Sarah stands up. Remember, she's a young 20-something. Stands up and says, would you follow me? And the woman says, excuse me? Would you follow me into the restroom? I want to show you something. So the lady follows her into the restroom. (laughs) Sarah tries on the Spanx right there on the spot. Sold. You know, I mean, that's like unbelievable. The, yes. So, I mean, that's that's all the audacity. But so here's the deal. So Neiman Marcus decides to beta test these Spanx in a handful of department stores. Sarah calls up all of her friends that live in those cities, sends them some cash and says, buy out all the Spanx. And so they buy out. Well, next thing you know, Neiman Marcus wants it everywhere. So does Bloomingdale's. So does this, that, and the other. So now they're everywhere. Fast forward a few years. Sarah Blakely is doing a conference, and she's talking about her story. In a Q&A time, someone raises their hand and says, Ms. Blakely, um, how did you get noticed in those big trade shows where there's a 1,000 exhibitors? How'd you get noticed? And Sarah leans forward and says, excuse me, trade show. I never went to a trade show. It was the very fact that she had a blind spot to know that Mm. was protocol. Mm. That was what we were supposed to do that allowed her to jump right shoots and ladders. She jumped straight to the top and has this great product. She's now a billionaire with a B. Um, And all I'm saying to listeners now is I don't know what your industry is. I don't know if you're a ministry or business or whatever, but I do know this. Every great leader I know said, I did have a vision for sure. But if I'd known then what I know now, oh, mm. I may, may have never started. Or thank God I didn't know all the. I would have, I just would have maintained or done what everybody else was doing and never gotten noticed. I think we need that rookie smarts, even like in our 50s and 60s. We need rookie smarts. And in that chapter, if you remember, I talk about how to maintain rookie smarts yep. as you get older. And I just think that's the key. Yeah. Do you do you have to spend a lot of time thinking about that as you get older? Oh, now yeah. that you've especially since you've written it and you've you've raised the awareness of it. Mm-hmm. How do you do that as you lead? <laughs> People bring up these paradoxes and I go, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do so as true. I do, do as I say. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it does happen. In fact, yeah. here's what's interesting. I have noticed when we do every once in a while, Mike, we will do a meeting at Growing Leaders where we'll look at the books, the products, the services that we offer. And, you know, Mike, you know this, at least right now, I've done all the books. So they're my babies. So um, we do a little exercise from time to time where we ask ourselves three questions. What needs a facelift? What needs an overhaul? And what needs a funeral? Mm. 
What needs a facelift? What needs an overhaul? What needs so facelift is what program? This might be great for for Northstar. That's really what, good. What are we doing that just needs to be updated to this year? It's a great program. We just need to give it a facelift. Yeah. Overhaul is man. That was a great idea back in 1995. That is not. We need to overhaul this. We need to meet that need, but a whole different way. But here's the toughest: the funeral. Yeah. So I've had to leave the meeting before when my team member discusses a book that I wrote that we no longer want to sell. <laughs> and I go, it's a great book. I wrote that, you know, but, um, but you know, it was written 1992 for Pete's yep. sake, 30 years ago. So anyway, I'll stop there. But I, I feel like that's my application is I need to know, I need to listen to those 30 somethings. They see the future better than I do. And I just need to wince or leave the room or empower them and clap for them and say, I'm sure that's a great decision. I'll just cry over in the corner, you know, here. So it's so yeah. true because we, you know, it's, you know, the generation you and I have come out of, it's all about vision. It is yeah. all, if you don't have a yes. vision and, and you have to have a vision. Yeah. But the reality is there's just some unknowns that you can't have a vision for. It used to be, What's your three-year plan? Give me your yes, vision yes. for the next three years. How far out does does the business world expect somebody to forecast on vision now? What would you say? Yeah. Well, I think with certainty, 18 months max. 18 months. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's even, even then they're going to go, and it, well, especially post-COVID. That's right. We're going, well, we can put it in pencil, but, but. You know, I can't, I don't even know. We don't even know six months from now. Is there a new variant coming out? Mm, we don't know. Mm, mm. So you're right. You said earlier, even the people that were supposed to be certain weren't certain. And I, Mike, if I can just share my bias now, when I look at kids today, they're looking up uh, at us adult leaders and we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. What are they thinking? Yeah. I, I tell you what they're thinking. They need to see humility. We need to say, gee, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. Uh, let's hit our knees. Let's, let's do our homework. Uh, but I think when we've been bombastic, and some of us have been, uh, yep. it's just as a turnoff. Uh, in some countries, a vast ma- minority want to be leaders of, of the of the generation under 25 years old. And you know why it's a minority? They look at the leaders and go, I don't want to be like that. Mm. You know? So I, I don't know. I want to be careful here. I don't think everybody old is bad. I'm old. Right. But um, I just feel like now's the time we need to say, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. That's so good. And and it doesn't replace vision. You have to have yes, yes. vision to lead. It's just being aware you're not going to have all the answers. That's and right. And some of the blind spots are going to are, are be the best thing. Yeah, that's right. So here's what I would say. One of the paradoxes is stubborn and open-minded. Yeah. And here's what I would say. If you're stubborn about your vision, you have a chance of reaching it. If you're open-minded, you have a chance of taking others with you. Mm, mm. because only the sharp people that I want to, I better be open-minded because they're going to have an idea themselves that probably better than my idea. So we follow the rule. I bet you do too. Best idea wins, even if it doesn't come from me. That's so good. Your last one I want to talk about today is uncommon leaders embrace visibility and invisibility. Mm, mm. This is powerful. It is powerful. So, when you think about a leader who goes, I've got to be at everything. I yeah, have to yeah, be. So yeah. I'm 30, 40 years old. I've got to have my fingers in mm-hmm. every decision. I've got to be in every meeting. What are they doing to themselves 
And what are they doing to their church company? We have tons and tons of athletic leaders, their teams, yeah, right? They're yeah. in every drill. They're, t- they're the head coach, but they're in every infield, outfield, or they're in the, the wide receiver drills, the defensive drills. Yeah. What are they doing if they don't embrace this visibility, invisibility? What would you say? I think they destine themselves to limitations. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if we want to scale, not fail, we're going to have to practice this particular uh, paradox. So I think we hide behind responsibility. Well, I want to be responsible. I mean, they'll see, they'll think I'm irresponsible if I'm not showing up in the meet. Oh, no, 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 no. I think after one year, you establish a sense of responsibility. Everybody looks at you and said, Mike, you're, you're a responsible person. Okay, yeah. you have to prove it now, you know, 15 years from now. Uh, my, my, my case study on this one, I absolutely loved studying and then communicating. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So the skinny on him is this. The first several years of the civil rights movement, let's say from 1955 to 63, Dr. King was visible. He was very aware, I need to model the way, not just preach a good sermon. I got to protest. I need to march. I need to do the boycotts. I need to do those sit-ins. He got himself purposely thrown in prison just to set an example on the sacrifice Mm, he's mm. willing to make. At the same time, you watch him after the I Have a Dream speech in August of 63. It's not that he didn't do any more, but he does only the things that he he met with Lyndon B. Johnson in the White House. He didn't delegate that. But so many other things. He even stopped showing up at meetings. And a young John Lewis, remember Congressman John oh, yeah, Lewis, yeah. would call him, Dr. King, where are you? King would go, John, you know what to say. You know what to do. Because he knew John Lewis would defer to him. If he was there in the meeting, who's going to talk over Dr. King? He's won a Nobel Peace Prize here. So I know the coaches and leaders that are listening might go, well, that's not me. I'm not a Nobel. I understand. But there's a time when your presence, your agency, your authority is so tangible. The best gift you can give them is to say, I'm going to shut up or not show up. And I'm going to say, Josh or Terry or whoever, you do this. You can, I've watched you. You've got it. You do this and you speak as if you were me because you you know what to do. And that, of course, is that Moses Joshua thing yep. that we know has to happen. But remember, even Moses was reticent That's to right. let go. He wanted to be responsible in Exodus 18. And, and, and Jethro said, you better stop doing this, man. You're going that's to die. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So that's that one is a fun one. But I got to tell you, Mike, that's where I am right now. Yeah. I'm beginning. I found my Joshua. Actually, it's a set of Joshua's, but there's one particular young 32-year-old leader here at Growing Leaders. I love him. His name's Andrew. And I can see him being one of several that will take Growing Leaders and, uh, you know, just really. Now, is he just like me? No, he's not. Thank God he's not. <laughs> but but I will say this. I think is a new iteration of Growing Leaders for the next day. Yeah. So I am so fighting. I'm not going to our weekly leadership meetings now. Mm. I'm, I want to. Because I want to have a say, but I'm going, they'll not speak up if Tim Elmore's in the room. They just won't. So they're making decisions. Some of them I go, oh, I don't think I would have done that. But you know what? It's a new day. And I've got to spend the next few years passing this baton and being invisible more often. Do you think there's that's one of the reasons there's been such a leadership gap in so mm-hmm. many organizations where they can't find the next one because the first one was never invisible. They were so yes. present, and especially this is true in the church world, 
especially this generation of the mega pastor leaves yeah, yeah. and you look at those churches now and they, they are shells of what they used to be. Do you think that's yeah. a little bit of what you see there? Mike, I think it's more than a little bit. Mm. As I travel the globe, I've been to dozens of countries. I watch a boomer generation leader refusing to let go. And I think they think it's right because, you know, I, I know what I'm doing and I, and I don't want to be responsible. But I, I see younger leaders going, well, then I, I just, I'll just leave. I love you, but I'm going to leave because I, I won't get to use my gifts here. So absolutely, I see it. In fact, here's something ironic. As I look at the boomer generation, and by the way, I am a baby boomer yep. myself. I see extremes, extreme presence, which shouldn't be, and extreme absence. And when, when I say absentee leader, I'm talking about the Harvard Business Review article that, that came out. So many employees today say, the worst thing about my leader is not what they do. It's what they don't do. They're never showing up. Mm. But the reason they're not showing up is not because they want to pass on, you know, respond. They, they're, they, the meeting's hard. They don't want to go to a hard meeting. So that's awful. So both extremes are, are wrong. We need to be intentional. And here's the process I've walked through. In my career, I've walked through doing, I do everything, dumping, I'm so frustrated. I start dumping work on yep. other people, but they don't stay around for that. Delegating. That's a little bit better. I plan ahead as I give work away to developing. So it's doing, dumping, delegating, develop. The highest form of passing it on is say, my main goal is not just to get rid of work, is to develop you, Nancy or Josh or Heather or whoever, and, and see that happen. Now, the work is going to be a conduit, you know, but um, that's where I think we need to live our life. Yeah. I would love, I'd love to pin in on this a little bit because I think a lot of leaders find themselves there. As you think about the next and you think about what growing leaders will be like when another name or names is attached yeah. to it, not Tim Elmore's. Yeah. And you think of being invisible and what could happen. What are the things that go on in your heart as a leader? That yeah. every leader needs to be aware of because I'm there. I'm in, I'm in that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we we've just clicked over to the fourth quarter of leadership for me, and yeah. I get it. I understand that. Yeah. What are the things I need to be aware of in my heart that I'm probably going to feel by by design being yeah. invisible at things I used to be incredibly visible at. Yeah. So one of my big problems is we have been so successful with certain products or resources. At back in 2008, 2009, 2015, you know, successes yeah. in the past can be uh, diminishing success in the future. You know that, right? Yesterday's success could be tomorrow's failure yep, if we cling right. to it. So what I have to do is I need to baptize outcomes, not inputs. Mm. If I'm baptizing inputs, meaning I hold that sacred, what I'm doing is I just want to replicate that habitude book again. Let's just do another habitude book again. Well, no, it needs to be a digital platform. It needs to be video and it needs to be short and it needs to be this, that, and the other. So I, I feel like my problem is I remember so much how sweet that first partnership was with the San Francisco Giants or the Buffalo Bills or, or whatever we were doing. And um, I realize it's going to be a new way. But if I'm in love with outcomes and I see Andrew and the rest of the teams getting outcomes, I can be happy. Yep. I Don't even tell me about the inputs because I won't even understand it. I'm thrilled about the results that you're getting. That's what I have to do. So this might be helpful to listeners because I know you have all ages that listen. 
I don't know who it was that I first heard this from, but they were dividing life up into decades. The first decade of your life is memories. You're a kid just making memories, just playing around and goofing off. Goofing off. The second 10 years, your teens are mischief. Okay. <laughs> we could probably tell stories about the yep. mischief of our teenage years. The, the next decade, our 20s, majors. So we're starting to figure out what we're going to major in and focus on. The next decade is mastery. You hopefully ma you've mastered pastoring a church, you know, mastery. But I think after that, your 50s, 60s, 70s, mentoring. Mm, mm. I think it's really about, all right, I've done, I've mastered a few things, not everything, but a few things. I need to focus my attention now on winning at, yeah, passing it on, mentoring. And of course, I so believe in that, you know that. So I'm really attempting to spend a good chunk of my time finding ways to pour into the next generation and applaud them as they pass me up. What I love about that, Tim, is that's where you began. The very yeah. first time I ever heard of Tim Elmore, you know, yeah. it's almost that full circle. Yeah. It was you had written a book on mentoring. Mm -hmm. And that was that was where I heard you speak years ago, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was on mentoring, you know, and it's it's yeah. like God yeah. birthed that in your heart long before you were the Tim Elmore we know now, uh, where lots of people know who you are now. It, it, you're, you're, you are an amazing guy, Tim. If, if your team were to be interviewed about you, how would you want them to describe how you have led, mentored, loved them through this mm. season? They're watching you yeah. live out these eight paradoxes. How do you hope they describe you as a leader, if they were wow. writing about you in a yeah, book. Yeah. Well, I would hope that they would use the word authentic. Mm -hmm. So I have many flaws, as we all do, but I, I really have a bunch. And I would hope they would say, well, he was sure honest with us about mm -hmm. where he wasn't strong and where we needed help you know, in these places. Um, Mike, I got to be honest with you, my favorite adjective that I try to pursue is the adjective life-giving. So a hyphenated word. I would hope they would say, oh, gosh, that guy was life-giving. When I was around him, he breathed life on me. Even if he didn't share a new nugget that I'd never thought about before, I felt better. I felt like I could do it. Um, I know that's how John Maxwell's been for me. Um, and so I, I really, I'm really am hopeful that, that would, they would use that term to describe me. I, but one more. I, I would hope that they would say, well, he figured out his strengths and he focused there. Uh, he didn't pretend to be someone he's not, you know, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the accounting now. I'm going to do the tech uh, at our office. Boy, that would be a joke. Um, so he stuck to his strengths and that's the value he added. He, he, he created content. Um, so anyway, I'll stop there, but that's, that's my hope anyway. Yeah. You know, there, there are some answers that when you get them, they don't stop you in your tracks. But Tim's answer to the question, what would you tell a young leader who you want to have confidence, but yet they know they don't know everything? How do you balance confidence and humility? And his answer, you speak as if everything you said was right, and you listen as if everything you said was wrong. 
I bet you I've repeated that 20 times since Tim told me, and it's also in his book, because it's just one of those thought-provoking answers that you really never get your arms around. Because really, there's never a point in leadership where we know it all. There's never a point in leadership where we've arrived. So we speak as if we know, and we listen as if we don't know. His eight paradoxes are so spot on. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed it because that was just so good. And it's one of those you just want to re-listen to and you want to get his book because I'm telling you, the book is just full. We just couldn't even get it all. We were only able to hit a couple of them because it's just so rich. Thank you, Tim Elmore, for not only producing such great content, Thanks for being just such a humble, kind leader. He's one of the best, and he's one of my favorites. Boy, if you've enjoyed this, I hope you'll take a second to push pause and to subscribe to be a part of our Lynch with a Leader family and to make sure you don't miss an episode that's coming out. We add them all the time. We will go back to our normal every other week, starting with the next episode, but we're not stepping back. We have the amazing Christy Wright from Ramsey Solutions. And Christy and I have such a great conversation about leadership, about life, and about the Lord. And it is so fun. We had such a great time together. So make sure and share this. Invite a friend to join you. And once again, thanks for being a part of Lynch with a Leader. Thanks for listening. And now go live out the leadership that you were created to be and to do and go be the person God created you to be. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.